The scriptures tell us that David was a man after God's own heart. So here he is in this reading tonight from these two chapters of 2 Samuel. This man after God's own heart, blatantly, deliberately, meticulously sinned against God and his neighbor. And so these brazen acts by the king rightly deserved God's wrath and condemnation. And for us listening and recalling this event in David's life, God is teaching us some very important things. The first thing is obvious. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. There's no way around those sins and breaking God's holy law. One of the things we see about the Ten Commandments is not only is there a prohibition to do something, but they also protect something as well. The first use of law is they curb, they keep things in order. But God's law has this in mind that God's people, his institutions, their property, are good and they deserve to be honored and protected. Because God is good even as his law is good. So it's no surprise then when people are hurt, when sin has its way in this world. Things get messed up. So hearing this in 2 Samuel tonight, we see this as a warning to us that God is not pleased when one breaks his commandments. So that first part then is plain and simple. Don't do what David did. God threatens to punish all those who break his commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. Now, the second thing God is teaching you is about confession, and specifically how it relates to this section of the small catechism, what sins should we confess? Now, clearly from this reading, you know what sins David should have confessed. I just listed them a few minutes ago. Yet in our lives, there is a similar call to confession. And it comes back and it's grounded in who, what we see at contrition as sorrow or terror over our sin and repentance that has that sorrow and the faith which trust in God and his mercy. And you see that God brings about and reveals these things by his word. The Lord is not silent when it comes to your sin, as his law exposes it to you. So he shows it, he lays it before you, and he calls you to confess your sin, to acknowledge what you have done. So then, what sins should we confess? Before God, we should plead guilty of all sins. Even those we are not aware of, as we do in the Lord's Prayer, but before the pastor, we confess, should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. So let's unpack then that explanation in the small catechism. As Christians, you plead guilty to your sin. That's because you're hearers of God's word and what it says about you. And 1 John 1, God tells you, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. So God shows us then that if you were to say in your life that you're without sin, then you say that God lies when he makes statements like all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, or one trespass led to condemnation for all men, for by the one's man disobedience, the many were made sinners. And again, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, 
No one does good, not even one. So you hear those words, then where does that leave you? You start to wonder. You take those to heart. Well, in your sin, you see that you do stand guilty. Because guilt is a judgment. In your sin, God judges you, and apart from Christ, the verdict is always the same. It's not dependent upon whether you feel it or not. We've turned that word guilt and guilty kind of into, we've kind of psychoanalyzed it now, and to make it, we use it more in terms of, well, I feel guilty over something. Typically, the Bible sees that more in terms of shame. But think about a courtroom. You have a man who's on trial, and he can be found guilty of murder, even if he has one, not even a single iota, a feeling of guilt or remorse. But the judge pronounces the defendant guilty, the gavel comes down, and the man is guilty. That's his judgment. So here's David then in this reading. He's guilty. Even when he's refusing to turn from his sin, even when his heart is so hardened that it blinded him from seeing what he had done, he transgressed God's law. He was guilty. So that's an important starting point as we think about this topic before us tonight and what God says who, who we are in our old Adam. So there are things then in our lives that we're guilty of even that we're not aware of. Ignorance doesn't take away the fact that God's law has no loopholes. There's no mercy in the law of God. God's law is eternal, subjectively true outside of ourselves, and it's unwavering. Being unaware is no excuse. And as you see and know through the scriptures, you have the knowledge of sin revealed to you as it is read and proclaimed to you. Romans 3 teaches, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So David was guilty. And yes, he should have known better. His heart was stubborn, and so it needed to be crushed, lest he perish eternally. So what did God do? Did God just look at these things that are reading in, and so these things displeased the Lord, and he said, well, gave it a good go with David. No. God sent a preacher, Nathan. He sent him to David to reveal his sin, to kill that old man with the ultimate purpose to deliver forgiveness. Nathan, whose name means gift of God or given by God in Hebrew, Nathan or Nathan means that, he preached to David and stopped the king's mouth and held him accountable to God. He used that image of a lamb, and David was appalled at what happened in the story. David himself said, this man who had done this deserves to die. And you know what, David? You're right. That's the truth of what God requires. That's what is becoming of one who stands guilty under God's law. David spoke the truth and indicted himself. Then Nathan spoke those words which pierced through the hard heart of the king, revealing to him what this all was pointing to. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you into the house, the house of Israel and Judah, and if this were too little, I would have given you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? So God sent Nathan to preach that word of law, 
to reveal that he would know what his sin was before God that rightly deserved that death that David himself spoke about, and that law crushed the king. It killed him, and it worked contrition. As David's eyes were opened to see his wickedness, to be in terror because he knew exactly what he deserved, he said it himself, and there was no escape. The Lord had exposed him, and his mouth, the mouth of the king of Israel, was stopped, left without any excuse. And then really, this, in this whole reading, everything comes to a head in one verse and summarizes really this whole series that we're going through of the fifth chief part in the small catechism this Lent. Listen again to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. There's the entire theology of confession and absolution. And this is the third thing God teaches you in this day. God put away David's sin. And the Lord has put away your sin. Now, David would later write about this all, and he teaches you through his words in Psalm 51. He wrote that after this incident in his life. And he shows you who we are and what, you, what God has done for you. And David wrote in the Spirit, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom and the secret heart. So God shows you that from the time of our conception, we are sinners. We have that inherited sin all the way going back from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and coming back then to what now that has been passed on to us, and then the fruits of this are seen in those actual sins we commit in this life. So sinning comes so naturally to us, and so far as we have a sinful nature, that there are times we don't even know that we've sinned against God or we have closed our eyes to God's word. That's how much it enwraps and informs our old Adam. So David pled guilty. He confessed. He said back what God told him about himself to reveal that he had sinned against him. And it was very true, which speaks volumes in all that happened. I have sinned against the Lord. So even as he committed adultery with another man's wife, even as he tried to cover it up and had that man killed, all of these things he did to his neighbor, he was doing against the Lord. But the Lord put away David's sin, even as your sin has been put away. And the reason why the Lord has done this is because Christ has taken this all upon himself and paid the price that David owed, and you owe God. David to deserve to die. You deserve to die. There were temporal consequences that David saw in this life as a result of his sin. His child died. His kingdom would be in upheaval and ultimately divided. Yet the day would come when David's greater son would die a death that paid for his sin and all of its, and all of its totality. The one who would be the embodiment of Israel itself. Jesus came as the one who is the lamb, taken and sacrificed on behalf of the ones who sinned against him. Christ died the death that David, his ancestor, deserved. And Christ died in our place. So our prayer this night, as we think about all of these things, and as we go through this series in Lent, 
As we pray with David, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You, would not, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So that's the same spirit, the spirit of David, the man after God's own heart that we have as we look and turn from our sin and cling solely and completely to Christ, who is our Redeemer. And our faith cries out with those opened lips. You know, every time we pray something like vespers or matins or morning and evening prayer, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. That's all rooted in this confession and absolution and this repentance and in this faith and in this mercy that God shows to his people. We open our lips and proclaim the Lord who has put away our sin and we shall not die. Our consolation and our peace are found in the wounds of Jesus. And so we give thanks, dear brothers and sisters, in, in what God has done for us tonight in Christ. And we rejoice with David in those words of the prophet Nathan. And we know that the Lord says the same thing to us. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. And what wonderful words those are. Because we know what we deserve. But yet we know Christ, who has redeemed us by his blood. And baptized into him, those words are our words of life. You are the beloved children of God. So fix your eyes on Jesus and know the great mercy that he has shown in cleansing you from it. Cleansed and washed clean, yours is the kingdom of heaven. And you see, the kingdom that Jesus has won for you and gives to you is not destroyed by sin. It's not divided. But it's one, it's full, it's free, and it's yours now and forever. Amen.